all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Remedy on NPV Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're going to be taking your calls during the hour concerning any type of health issues or topics that you need answered. The number to call is 1-877-EB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can always send us an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Or if you'd like to check out our previous programs, check us out on mpbonline.org. Just search for Southern Remedy. We try to archive those as soon as we can, within usually within a day or two. Hope everybody's having a great morning. I hope those in South Mississippi and uh, other listening areas uh, are uh, east and west that are south uh, uh, are recovering. Please stay safe. If you're uh, you know still having some, I'm sure some. Uh, impact with um, with uh, resources that you would normally have and and power being one of those um, you know there's a lot of damage that you can do after a storm like this a lot of dangerous situations one is of course down power lines and water areas certainly uh, we had a, uh, a horrendous uh, um, land uh, uh, undertow uh, in a creek bed that sort of washed out a road and had had some vehicles unfortunately fall into that. Um, be careful, e- even if it looks like roads are okay, particularly those that you know have been impacted by Hurricane Ida uh, and the um, excess rainfall that we experienced. So please be careful about that. And if you're getting out and um, you know, make sure you're taking care of your neighbors. Uh, certainly, particularly in those who have a loss of power. Um, check on them with the increased temperatures that we've had uh, in the state. Uh, certainly lack of air conditioning and overheating and not having access to water can be a huge uh, risk to someone. So please check on those who, uh, who need it and be careful as you're doing that. The number to call today if you would like to uh, have your health care questions answered is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. Got a couple of updates on COVID uh, in the state. Of course, we had a little bit of a, <clears throat> a little bit of a delay in some of the reporting, uh, just because of the uh, uh, just because of the um, uh, Hurricane Ida and reporting of that data to the health department. We were still right around three thousand uh, cases since uh, as of three p.m. yesterday, in, in one day. Uh, unfortunately, that equates uh, to later deaths, and certainly we're seeing that from previous weeks um, with around 80-some-odd people that have died in the last 24 hours. 
Um, still a lot of impact out there. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, I would encourage you to do that. There is great protection in getting vaccinated, particularly against the severity of the disease should you get it. Um, less uh, likelihood of going in the hospital, less likelihood of being admitted to an ICU, and certainly less likelihood of dying uh, in those who are vaccinated, particularly in those who are most at risk. So if you have any chronic health conditions, if you have hypertension, if you are obese, uh, these are all risk factors that we know about. We've known about for over a year now that individuals with those risk factors tend to do worse. We are, however, seeing other individuals that have absolutely no medical, uh, chronic medical conditions or past medical history that unfortunately are also being impacted. So please, please be safe about that. We are not, uh, certainly not over this in, in any uh, stretch of the imagination. We haven't really seen a peak yet. Hopefully we'll have that soon in our local cases. Uh, but for right now, the best way you can protect yourself is to get vaccinated and to avoid situations where you have large groups of people that are together. This is Southern Remedy, Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. You can call in right now with any kind of questions. It doesn't have to be COVID related. It can be anything that's going on uh, in your life um, that you want some answers about. Uh, do, we, I do want to uh, address an email while we're waiting on a couple of callers. Um, this is uh, basically from a listener who says, I have heard of protection from uh, from uh, shingles vaccine, I'm a little bit concerned about how best to do that. Is it best to get one dose or two doses of that? Um, this is a, a, you know, there are two different types of shingles vaccinations. Uh, and shingles is really, it's a uh, reemergence of chickenpox virus in someone who got chickenpox when they are, uh, were younger or the, at an earlier age. And basically, those viral particles, they don't totally go away. They hang out in dorsal nerve root ganglion. That's just a fancy term about some of the nerves that are usually in your spine. And then if for any reason, if your immune system goes down, it could be age-related, it could be other things that are going on, stress-related type things, then you can have an outbreak of shingles, which is incredibly painful. Um, those of you who have gotten it know that, and a little bit hard to treat once you get it. Shingles vaccination helps prevent that. Um, if you've had shingles in the past or if you've had chickenpox in the past, you still need to get the shingles vaccine um, to help protect against that. The first one that was developed years ago was a one dose that usually was recommended somewhere between 55 and 65 years of age, um, or at least 55 years of age and up. And uh, that was pretty effective. Since then, um, they have developed another vaccine that's a two-dose vaccine that is more effective than that. So in answering our listener's question, I would go for the, the two-dose just because it's a little bit more effective. Uh, it is not a live virus like the first one was. It was a weakened live viral vaccine. This one is a recombinant uh, vaccine, so it's a little bit different in the way that it's made and a little bit more effective in doing that. So keep that in mind. If you're in that age range of about 50 and up, um, I would recommend doing that. Certainly, if singles isn't something that you would uh, enjoy getting. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you're not able to call, you can always send us an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Hey, Dr. Jimmy, a follow-up on the shingles vaccine. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Um, I got the two-shot one as well, I think, last year. 
Um, is this uh, something we need every year? Or is it good to go for a while or what? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so with this, you know, vaccines, they're designed for uh, boosting your immunity to something, basically, or training your own immune system to recognize that without actually having to get the disease. So in, in reference to the uh, varicella virus that causes chickenpox and shingles, once you get that two vaccination series, it's thought that that immunity will last somewhere between 10 and 15 years at least. So it's not recommended that you have to get another dose. Um, of course, best follow-up for that is to see what that immunity does, both with the amount of antibodies that you have and the protection that you get from getting shingles. And we're not quite to that 15-year mark uh, yet on uh, that two dose. We're quite a ways from it. So, you know, time will tell on that. But from everything that we can see, usually for, for when we do vaccination for chickenpox, we know it lasts uh, you know, in excess of 20 years. So we're hoping that'll sort of get people over that hump and at least decrease the risk of shingles once you get it in your 50s uh, through the rest of your lifetime. Great, great follow-up question there, Kevin. What about heart disease right now? You know, there's uh, heart disease is one of the, lean, the leading killers, particularly in the state of Mississippi, and it can be caused by a number of risk factors, hypertension being one, diabetes another one. Um, you know, that is something that can creep up on you pretty quickly. I would encourage people, if you have any kind of symptoms, not just chest pain, but shortness of breath or fatigue that sort of creeps up on you, particularly if you're doing activity, uh, if you're a smoker or have uh, other risk factors that you can modify, like losing weight particularly, uh, those are great things to do. And with uh, cooler weather on the way, hopefully, uh, it'd be a great time to change some of those things about your diet and exercise that can have big impacts down the line. But if you're having any kind of problem, shortness of breath, maybe sweating episodes that you can't explain, uh, some breath with that activity, or trouble sleeping flat at night, uh, all these things can be symptoms of heart disease and need to be checked out by your physician uh, before you have any problems. We certainly don't want to wait until you have a heart attack. These things can sneak up on you and you can have reversible damage or at least um, things that can be intervened, particularly if you have blockage to some of the arteries of your heart. We have great ways now to address. So don't put that off. Even in COVID times, make sure you're contacting your doctor appropriately with those symptoms so that they can address those and, uh, and treat those accordingly. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. On MPB Think Radio, Dr. Jimmy Stewart with you this morning, answering your questions and taking calls about any kind of health 
issue that you might have a concern about. Maybe it's a new medication that you're taking, maybe a new symptom uh, that you haven't quite nailed down, or maybe it's a particular ailment, a particular disease diagnosed with that you want more information on. We are here for you today. That means you can call in right now and get some advice on that. We'll try to answer those questions as uh, succinctly as we can, but we also want to point you in the right direction of getting further help uh, so that you can receive the appropriate information and health care for you and your family. That number to call right now for those questions to be answered is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We had a previous caller a couple of weeks ago ask about, you know, hypertension and sort of its effects. You know, hypertension has been called the silent killer for a good reason because it'll sneak up on you and you can have elevations in blood pressure that are quite high and have almost no symptoms whatsoever. The damage, though, even if you're asymptomatic, is continues to uh, to happen in your body. So those elevated pressures can do damage to organs that are supplied by those arteries like your heart, really every organ in the body, but in particular your heart, your kidneys, your brain. And we know that sustained blood pressures can cause uh, pretty uh, traumatic uh, end-stage illnesses uh, like stroke, heart attack, and end-stage kidney disease. But they can also affect things a little bit more slowly. And one of those is dementia. So a lot of people think of Alzheimer's when we talk about dementia of slowly losing the capacity to recall things, being forgetful, uh, not, uh, you know, in, in later stages, not being able to do the normal activities of daily living that you, you normally would do. But Alzheimer's dementia is only one type of dementia, and there are other types, one of which can be caused by damage to those blood vessels that supply blood flow to your brain. This makes perfect sense if you think about it. If you're not, uh, if you want a nice, beautiful green lawn, uh, particularly if you're in the South, uh, during the summer months, you're either going to have to uh, water that yourself or rely on nature. I and mean, when you're watering it yourself, you need to make sure that you get water to the entire lawn or you'll have some spots that, that die off over time. Same thing with your brain. If you have any kind of damage to those arteries, those blood vessels that supply blood flow to the brain over time, then you're going to have some damage. And that can be very subtle some uh, changes in the structure of your brain that causes you to not be able to function and do the tasks that you normally would. And hypertension is one of those things that can, that can impact that. Uh, hypertension is treatable. We know how to treat it. Most people can be treated successfully to their goal blood pressure. And again, that's less than 130 over 80 for most of the population with two to three medications trying to minimize those side effects, but again, to decrease those risks. So just want to encourage you, if your blood pressure is high, maybe this is the second, third, or even fourth time that your physician or somebody's told you that, go get it checked out and go ahead and take it seriously because it can do a lot of damage over time. Hey, Dr. Jimmy, can I jump in with another follow-up? Sure, go ahead. This might be a little bit off the wall or whatever, but you know, you hear a lot of times when someone is anxious or stressed, oh, my blood pressure is going through the roof or whatever. Uh, can anxiety and stress and pressure kind of make a high blood pressure condition worse? Yeah, great question. You know, it's really sort of a chicken or the egg question. So a lot of times patients will say, well, I'm stressed out. Doesn't my blood pressure go up? Or maybe my blood pressure is up and it's causing me to even feel stressed out. So there's many different things that can affect blood pressure. And 
your blood pressure is not static. In other words, it doesn't stay the same number uh, throughout the day and night. So it's quite different um, uh, at different times. In fact, in almost everybody, blood pressure goes down about 20% at night when you go to sleep, and then it goes back up and sort of peaks in mid-afternoon. So it's, it's, it's important to remember that. And then, of course, anything that impacts your stress level on the body, and that can be something that you perceive yourself as, as being anxious about, or maybe you don't even perceive it. Uh, a good example of this is sleep deprivation. So one of the things that can affect blood pressure is if you don't get enough sleep. Um, you know, I was kidding around with a medical student yesterday trying to teach them this, and I said, you know, if, if you stayed up all night on call, uh, I've done some small studies with this with medical students and medical residents. Um, after they stay up, their blood pressure is appreciably higher the next day on average, um, and that's certainly something that can impact it. If you're sick for any reason, you can, um, you can see a blood pressure rise. And then, of course, in those individuals that are dealing with anxiety, particularly clinical anxiety, it's very common for them to have elevated blood pressures. That's one of the reasons why it's important to know what the blood pressure is, not just in the office when you see your physician, but outside the office, like at home and at work and the other things that you would normally do, because you may have something called white coat hypertension, which just means you have an exaggerated stress response when you come to see your physician or, or get checked out. And uh, in those cases, we don't necessarily treat the blood pressure in the office, we treat the blood pressure that you get at, uh, at, on those other different times of the day, at home or, or at work. So you may want to have a discussion with your physician about that if you're having a discrepancy. But yeah, and I, you know, sometimes treating that anxiety uh, with whatever it is, with maybe some removal of those stressors or counseling by a trained psychologist or maybe even medications at times, all of those things can improve the anxiety and bring your blood pressure down. So you want to do that uh, to look for those other things that might be causing the blood pressure to be high even before you start medication. So that's an important question. Kevin Farrell, our producer, always handy with some follow-up questions. All right, Dr. Jimmy, we got some real calls on the line now. So uh, let's start first with our friend Sue calling in from Beaumont. Sure. Good morning, Sue. How are you? Important question. Kevin Farrell. Hello. Hey, Sue, how are you doing this morning? <laughs> Dr. Jimmy, I waited too late to uh, call last week. I want to ask you a question. You, sure. Uh, a man had called in talking about uh, he, he had developed this cough and nobody could figure out what it was, and they checked everything they could think of, you know, he, he and the doctor. But I, I finally took the time to read the brochures that come with the package inserts and things with my medications, you know. I uh, take four medications, and three of them, one of, the, one of the side effects was a dry cough. It said, if you develop a cough, tell your doctor about it. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know what it is about certain medications that make people develop a cough. Do you? Yeah, and it's, you know, you're right. That's one of the more common side effects that are listed with medications. Now, usually they'll, they'll group those together just to tell you how, you know, how common they are. One of the most notable offenders is a group of medications or blood pressure medications that are effective blood pressure medications, but in about 15% of individuals who take them, they develop a cough, and those are ACE inhibitors, um, and those are things like lisinopril or ramipril, quinapril. There's a couple of more out there, trandolapril, uh, and not everybody will have that. Most people won't, but if you do, 
then you can switch to a different medication and that goes away. In that particular medication, not other medications, um, the, the reason is it, it affects something in the bradykinin pathway. So bradykinin is, an, is, a, um, is a substance that helps regulate blood pressure and nitric oxide levels in blood vessels. And in some individuals, they have a, an increase in that that causes a cough. And that's also one of the reasons why they think ACE inhibitors work to lower blood pressure is because of that, that sort of side pathway. But, um, yeah, I, see, that's a great, um, great observation. And some medications, they'll thin out. Mucus that can cause a cough or it might be a direct uh, irritant to the cough pathway uh, it really depends on the individual medications, but ACE inhibitors, if you're taking one of those, about 15% of, of people will have that. And again, it's an easy fix. Uh, sometimes it'll creep up on them. I have a few patients that are have a sort of a dry cough and they're like, you know what? That blood pressure is for me. I don't want to change it even if I cough. So uh, it's not a dangerous side effect in, in, you know, with the cough, but it's certainly something that you can Medications are a very common cause of that. I, I didn't know if that man's doctor had thought about that medications could be causing it because they'd check for everything else, you know. Right, right. And that's, you know, and not just cough either. That's a good point, Sue, because it's anytime you have any kind of symptom, I always look at the patient's medication list to see if it's not necessarily each individual medication even, but maybe a combination of medications, because sometimes combinations can cause side effects that individual ones won't. Um, and anytime you get over about five medications, you really got to pay attention to that. And even if the patient's done fine for years, as you get older, those can be metabolized differently and you can, um, you can really see some, some problems over time. So it's an idea for a physician to check out that list and think about, uh, potential side effects or, or symptoms that the patient's having. Well, thank you. All right. Thank you, Sue. You uh, you take care. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 Next on the line, Dr. Jimmy, we have Debbie calling in from Wesson with a couple of questions. All right. Uh, good morning, Debbie. What's your question today? Well, I have a couple of topics I'd like to address, please. Sure, sure, go ahead. One is about the shingles. My step-grandmother worked for the State Board of Health and used to end up in intensive care with shingles. Mm. She discovered that corn and southern peas, such as purple hole peas, black-eyed peas, made her more prone to developing shingles. In case huh, that that's interesting. listeners. Yeah, that's interesting. The other, th well, she had a long list of things, but those were the two main. The other thing, the topic I'd like for you to address, please, we have a lot of heroes returning home from Afghanistan now, and it's going to be individuals as well as families and children. Please address the topic of PTSD and how just the general public can relate to these people to be a helpful relationship with them or in general? Yeah, that's a great topic, uh, Debbie. That's certainly one that um, we know from past experiences uh, with our veterans that the things that they, uh, the, the situations that they 
uh, volunteer for and put themselves in harm's way for our safety and the safety of others, they certainly is uh, after coming home. And it's it's oftentimes delayed because you're in in a situation where you're dealing with things. So when they're actually deployed uh, with their tours uh, of duty, they basically uh, may not have any of those symptoms. But when they come back with differences and getting back into a routine, there are multiple mental health issues that are well known to arise. Um, we have a lot of data. Actually, if you read a lot of the occurrences, even back in the Civil War, there were people that uh, certainly weren't diagnosed at that time with it, but, but very well could have been diagnosed today. We also know that you can treat these very successfully, um, but you need to address them. There's a lot of stigma um, of mental illness, and uh, because of that, a lot of people are not uh, really comfortable with approaching even medical professionals about there. There's a lot of fear about how they would be perceived or fear of how it might affect their families, their marriages, their jobs, or friends. Uh, but it's certainly something that needs to be addressed because it can be debilitating. Uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is one. It's not the only one, but certainly it is one where you're exposed to a traumatic event, and then because of its impact mentally on you, it can affect you mentally and physically and emotionally for the rest of your life. Uh, and the the one good thing, particularly with our uh, you know VA system of, of care, is that they're very um, they're very cognizant of these disorders, and they have a lot of good uh, training in that and a lot of good experience in it. So uh, I would encourage all of those coming home to uh, first of all thank you for your service, uh, and uh, also to reach out if you have any of these symptoms. If you're a family member of a veteran that you think that they're having problems, please encourage them to get help in the best way that you can uh, because these can be treated. Uh, anxiety, depression, uh, all of these uh, can be seen in, in individuals, unfortunately, that have been, uh, have been deployed and, again, been exposed to, to things that are uh, very serious. And, um, uh, you, you know, a lot of people in the past have said, well, yeah, that was just while they were over there that they had those since they're back. They don't really have them. That's, again, not what we know now about uh, mental issues and those that have been exposed to trauma. It can haunt you for the rest of your life. It can certainly impact your life. So I'd encourage all of them to uh, to think about that and to to reach out and to get help and to uh, to get the treatment that they need and deserve as uh, as veterans of our country. So thanks. Thank you, Debbie, for bringing that up. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio. Or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, taking your calls about any kind of health questions you might have. Got some great calls so far, plenty of time for some more. Uh, the number to reach us this morning is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. Uh, another email that was uh, asking about blood donation and vaccines. So uh, really good question. Uh, do you need to wait before or after you have a blood donation to get a vaccine? Typically, that's that's not the case. Uh, most vaccines are processed pretty quickly by your body, so they're not going to hang around for any uh, considerable amount of time. Certainly, after you've received a vaccine, your body, it takes some time for it to develop an immunity, and there's different ways that it does that. You've probably all heard about the different types of immunity. I think everybody's gotten a little bit more taste of that with uh, certainly the, a lot of the discussion about uh, about COVID vaccines, but any vaccine, your body has a couple of different ways to develop an immunity. Antibodies are the one most people that think about that as being the the, the main way. Uh, and antibodies are very important. They attach to certain substances. Generally, they have sort of a Y-shaped uh, configuration. And when you look at them under an electron microscope, and they attach to different substances and then uh, identify them as foreign so that the rest of the immune system can um, can uh, clean that up and, and mount up an immune response. But there are also long-term immunity, particularly with uh, T-cells, uh, and T-cells are certain types of immune cells that can, uh, that basically live pretty much all your lifetime. And once you're exposed to something, they, if you have enough of these T-cells that remember this, they activate the immune system even after those antibody centers uh, aren't really familiar with that. It tends to be a little bit delayed in its function. Antibodies occur pretty quickly, uh, but the T-cell response can be a little bit more delayed in certain, uh, in certain situations. And it does depend on the different types of uh, substances that your body recognizes. For instance, bacteria, uh, there may be a little bit different way that it deals with them than with viruses. Uh, certainly parasites are another we don't think about too much, but certainly in lots of uh, different uh, parts of the world, that's another one. So uh, there's lots of different ways that your body's immune system deals with that. And vaccines are one way to deal with it uh, to basically train your immune system to recognize those. As far as blood donation goes, it's not really a contraindication uh, for giving blood. Um, and again, if you uh, receive a vaccine, um, uh, you know, depending on the blood products that you're giving, it may include antibodies to, uh, to various things. Most of those, and particularly with red blood cells, they sort of filter those out as much as possible. Um, but there are some pooled serum that's used for different things, include those antibodies. So great question about that. Good to think about as you uh, donate blood. And if you're able to donate blood, this would be an excellent time to do it. Uh, we have blood shortages from time to time particularly as it relates to blood products that are needed to treat patients with COVID-19 uh, and then also certainly with uh, any kind of natural disaster uh, like we've just had with Hurricane Ida. It's always a good idea to donate blood if you can. So I'd encourage you to do that. Maybe it's the first time you've done it. It'd be an excellent way 
to give something to help save someone's life. Dr. Jimmy got two callers on the line. We'll start again with Alan in Mobile. Good morning, Alan. Thank you for calling this morning. Hey, how's everything going? Good. What's your uh, question this morning? Just a comment. If you have, like, a returning veteran that's been through four deployments to Iraq or a senior, whether it's just a geriatric patient or a hospice, whatever, if they can get those folks on some serotonin moderating medications, it saves not only the patient but the folks that are around them trying to help them out because it's especially bad in seniors. They've been busy all their life. Then something happens that they can't drive. They shouldn't be out there operating equipment. Then they have all that time left on their hands to outthink their caregivers and uh, other health care providers. And all they need to do is get the serotonin level adjusted. And then you can run a perfectly healthy family nuts trying to keep up with grandpa because he keeps out thinking and, and thinking of new things that he needs done to fix his truck so he can get running on the roads again, get back out to the tractors and farms and do everything that he's always done for the past 93 years. And right. it's very right. difficult for a Class A person to take and make that adjustment that they can't do what they used to do. And their, their adrenaline's running wild. So <laughs> I just wanted to make that comment. And there are yes. plenty of those big grown construction workers out there that still need a bunch of Zoloft and Prozac, but I just can't get them to go get help. So I appreciate well, Alan, you the best you can. Yeah, yeah. Alan, thank you for those comments. That's, uh, you know, that there's, and, and you mentioned particularly one class of medications that have been used to treat uh, anxiety and depression both. Serotonin is one of a number of uh, neurotransmitters that your brain uses to do different things. And certainly if you have a deficiency of, um, uh, of serotonin in those, uh, in those synapse spaces between the neurons, then basically uh, that can be one of the things that you can successfully treat with medication. A lot of other things that can help too. Certainly we don't want to leave out some of the cognitive uh, therapy training that you can do and, Honestly, you really spoke to some of the, the, the main issues. You know, if you're not able to do some of the things, keeping somebody busy, particularly as they, um, as they get older, we all want to feel like we're worthwhile in what we do. Um, we need to feel like we're, um, we, we mean something and that we can contribute in some kind of ways. So sitting around, you know, I, I ask people all the time when they, when my patients, they say, hey, I'm going to retire next year. And I ask them, well, what are you going to do with your time? Because that's important, uh, not just from a physical standpoint, but from an emotional and mental standpoint, too. So I think that's important. And most programs now, they're going to, you know, that do treat this. Uh, medications can, again, they can be very successful. The serotonin, uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors are one group. Uh, norepinephrine is another neurotransmitter that some, uh, some medications can modulate uh, the levels of, but also being active and particularly active socially with other people. And again, I know that's been hard with COVID, but that's really a key to success for our mental well-being. And 
I think you, uh, Alan's probably uh, describing somebody or a group of, of individuals that are really trying to do that. They're trying to fit in. They're trying to contribute uh, for themselves or families and society. And sometimes that's very challenging to do with uh, whatever limitations you might have. So, Alan, thanks for that comment. That's, uh, that's certainly uh, an encouragement that if there's somebody in your family or maybe somebody listening that you reach out for help. Uh, Dr. Jimmy, we've got uh, Jerry from Newton. He's up next. All right, Jerry, what's your question this morning? Encouragement. Oh, uh, how y'all doing? Good. What's your question this morning, Jerry? Uh, I wanted to ask y'all to do a little perfect public service announcement. I don't think anyone that listens to MPB is doing ivermectin, but um, I witnessed a debate last night online of a guy that was saying that it was CDC or FDA approved for use in humans, and they've used it in Africa for eye worms. Um, but I'm sure you can shed some light on that so that we, we can have a reply to people who think that ivermectin is going to take care of their problem and wind up going to the hospital poisoning themselves. And I'll hang up and let y'all go ahead and tell everybody what they need to know. Thank you. Sure, sure. Thanks, Jerry. Yeah, ivermectin is a medication that's been around a long time to treat parasitic infections. Uh, It's been used in humans. It's also used in animals. Um, But uh, beyond parasites, it's not been shown to be effective in treating other things. So, uh, again, just because you you know you have one antibiotic or one medication that treats a certain thing doesn't mean it's going to treat everything. That doesn't mean you don't study it. And you know, early on in the pandemic, a lot of people, and I'm not even sure why they they chose sort of landed on ivermectin as something because again, it's an anti-parasitic medication. It's not designed and really doesn't interfere with any of the pathways that viruses use to replicate themselves or all of their processes. So um, it has been studied. It has been looked at. There's been no whatsoever in larger, well-controlled studies that have shown any benefit. Um, You know, a lot of people will say, well, why not just take it? There's no harm. I think we've seen that. There is harm. Uh, particularly if you are obtaining this from other supplies, other non-human supplies, veterinary supplies. Uh, Never a good idea to take medications that are designed for animals, particularly larger animals, because they're in doses sometimes a thousand times more than what the human body, uh, than what is safe for the human body. Uh, But again, I, you know, I, I had a discussion with a patient of mine, um, I guess it was last week about ivermectin and several other medications and this was someone recovering from COVID. And, you know, I just said, you know, look, I, I'm always looking at the evidence for what is useful, uh, what has been, um, what has been uh, proven to be both uh, effective, so safe. And those two things are very important. And that's a, sometimes that's a big risk between those. And things like um, uh, azithromycin, which I know a lot of physicians are unfortunately prescribing for viruses, including COVID, do not work against COVID. And there's an enormous amount of uh, evidence that they don't. So things that do work are things like uh, the monoclonal antibody, for instance, uh, for patients who are not hospitalized uh, to prevent hospitalization or in certain situations, 
severe COVID patients, steroids have been approved, uh, not in everybody. Um, and uh, other other medications are looked at. We participated here at UMMC when in excess of 40 different trials around COVID uh, to, to participate and try to understand it better. Um, but I would caution anybody to, um, you know, to just because something's approved for something else and with ivermectin and parasites, um, and it is not a good idea to just say, well, maybe this will work with COVID and try it out. I mean, you can run into a lot of problems, and unfortunately, we've seen some deaths in individuals that uh, took ivermectin. So, Jerry, that's your PSA from all the evidence. I, I tell my patients, look, I just shoot straight from what I what I interpret. And uh, again, uh, that that comes from four years of medical school and four years of residency training and 20 years of practice. Um, so that's um, that's you know my best uh, interpretation of the medical literature and all the evidence that's out there uh, about that. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your questions and taking some comments about any kind of health uh, care topic that you might have. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 If you're not able to call us today, you can always email us. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. I uh, do want to encourage you, too, to check out our podcast. You can go to mpbonline.org and uh, sus- subscribe to that and also look for uh, archive programs. It's a podcast is such a convenient way. I know I have a couple of them that I listen to on a regular basis. Uh, such a convenient way to keep up with things, and uh, if you miss something, to come back to it. Um, but uh, check us out on mpbonline.org and just search for the Southern Remedy uh, podcast. There's a lot of other uh, programs that are locally produced there that uh, MPB uh, produces. Uh, to check those out too. Uh, lots of good questions today about COVID and certainly staying safe. And uh, uh, do want to encourage everybody to try to do that in the best way possible. Uh, try to take care of yourself. I mentioned, you know, with with cooler weather coming on, certainly there's ways to do it in hotter weather whether um, it's a great time of year to think about maybe some changes in what you're eating or in exercise. Um, one of the things I think that was positive with uh, the COVID uh, epidemic is a lot of people got outside more, uh, particularly as the weather allowed. And, uh, and certainly in Mississippi, it is a challenge being a native Mississippian my entire life. 
that uh, you just can't get cool enough in the heat of the Mississippi summer. Certainly, I love the warmth, but uh, you got to be careful out there. But with cooler weather, pick something with somebody else uh, that you can do. And certainly outside is going to be much healthier than inside for most people. Um, If you have chronic health conditions, that shouldn't uh, negate that. You want to check it out with your physician, of course, if you have you know, more serious chronic health conditions and make sure starting an exercise program is a good idea for you. But for most every, it's a good idea. We really don't have, you know, those limitations that we had 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, you can at least do something, even if it's from light walking. Those are some great things that you can do for your body. And almost every chronic uh, disease does better with some amount of exercise. So, I'd encourage you to take some time to do that um, this time of year. Go ahead and make some plans to do it. And uh, it's, you know, again, it's one of the best ways that you can improve your health. And you can also do it uh, with at least one or two others socially to keep those social connections with others that are so important uh, for the health of yourself and others for the rest of your life. Uh, Dr. Jimmy, let's wrap up with one final call, and it's going to go to Kate from Mobile. All right. Good morning, Kate. How are you doing down south? I'm hanging in there. How are you? Good. Uh, what's your question this morning? Okay. Um, it is about ivermectin and the use of ivermectin and um, what the awareness is in the state of Mississippi is uh, what hospitals have actually been using it in the treatment. Yeah, I, I, I have heard of physicians doing that and some hospitals. Unfortunately, there's no evidence in that. Now, I want to I caution people, uh, and, I, you know, just to be honest with you, I've been very disappointed, and, you know, I, I've been, uh, it'll be 25 years that I've been at the, uh, this coming year at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and I have taught medical students, and I've taught um, physicians in training as residents uh, all that time, and it's, it's very disappointing some of the um, really grasping at things that don't make a whole lot of sense rather than sticking to the things that do. Uh, So I I know that's going on. I hear about it. And unfortunately, a lot of those patients get transferred from other hospitals to UMMC and and other academic medical centers. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that it's not a good idea to do that in the setting of a clinical trial. That's different. That's different. Uh, you know, well, if there is some limited evidence, that's certainly the way that you gain more uh, data about the safety correct. and how how things work. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I know there are 27 completed clinical peer-reviewed trials that have been done and that have been published uh, on the effic- sorry, the um, effectiveness of, of ivermectin in the treatment of COVID. Now why I feel that it's the information is being suppressed because it's all about money. You can't make any money off a drug that's very cheap and there's no patent on it any longer. Um, but I ha- I'm living proof that it worked for me. I tested COVID-3 within three days. My doctor has tested COVID-3 within 48 hours. My friends who were treated over in Loosedale test, uh, tested COVID-3. Uh, within six days. So I want to know why it's being suppressed and why more doctors aren't pushing it. And 
you know, excuse me, but I, I tend to disagree with you on its use. And I, I don't understand why something that's very um, low in harm to humans, which is proven in all the trials that were done in Africa when they were using it for river blindness, um, it's safe for pregnant women after the after eight weeks. It does not pass the placental yeah. barrier. Yeah, you know, I want to cut you off for time right here, but I, I'll just I'll just finish by saying I don't recommend it. The uh, all the official people who treat. Uh, COVID, the experts on it don't recommend it because of the data that does not support its efficacy and, uh, you know, just things that don't work, we don't support. So I'll have to leave it at that and we'll just have to agree to disagree on that. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. The first question that we get when someone comes in is, how is the Ulysses S. Grant Presidential Library in Mississippi? Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We have every letter Grant ever wrote and every letter ever written to him. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org radio or by using your favorite podcasting app, Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast.